Christians are supposed to be Christ-like, just as the name implied from when it was originally used in the first century, right up to our own postmodern world today. It's as simple as WWJD, right? Wrong. Join our show host, teacher, servant leader, and fellow traveler, Steve Russell, as we journey together in learning how lives daily renewed by God's grace and power can embrace Christian living that counts and makes a difference in a broken world. Welcome to today's show of Christian Living That Counts. Remember that we are a renewed people making a difference in a broken world. I'm Steve Russell, your host for the show. We're in the second part of what we hope will be a two-part series. We started last week talking about the 40 developmental assets as determined by the Search Institute in Minneapolis, Minnesota. This was a teaching that uh, when I learned about these assets, I developed a nonprofit corporation to go out and promulgate these and discuss them, create awareness and facilitation of these 40 developmental assets that are important in the lives of children and youth. Last week, we talked about the power of the assets and how they make life-changing um, attitudes and resources in, in children and youth in their lives. And then today, we're going to pick up where we left off. We had covered the first part of the external assets, the externals uh, and internals. There are 20 of each. The 40 are developed into 20 externals and 20 internals. And we covered some 10 of the uh, external assets. Uh, things like support and empowerment. I'm not going to cover those again or go back over them even briefly because you can go to my website, empoweringtexasyouth.org, click on the 40 Assets tab, and you can read these for yourself and review them. And that's quite helpful for you to have that in front of you. And also on that uh, same website, empoweringtexasyouth.org, you can click on Power of Assets, and you can see under that tab a slide presentation that shows you the tremendous differences it makes as children and youth move from a lower number of these developmental assets into a higher number. Uh, It does uh, help, I think, to keep a, um, a definition in mind. These assets are common sense, uh, concrete, positive experiences and qualities that help young people turn into successful young adults. So we want to go right on with the external assets. Uh, As I said, we started with support and empowerment last week. We'll move on to boundaries and expectations today. There are five of these that fall into that category, and let me cover those with you uh, as we get started. The first one, and and, uh, keep in mind the term boundaries and expectations, so you're going to hear those words used in these five assets. The first one is school boundaries. It is very helpful to children to know from their school that there is a clear set of rules and consequences for breaking those rules. Clarity here is important. It's got to be clearly known so that the child understands if I do this or I have this behavior and it violates the rules, there are going to be certain consequences with that. When children are faced at school 
with unclear boundaries and unclear rules uh, and expectations, then they may find themselves in behaviors and uh, there's inconsistency. One time those behaviors are punished, another time they are let slide, and so the child doesn't understand um, or the young person doesn't grasp exactly what what's a good behavior. So here clarity becomes very important in school. The school needs to know and tell the children and the young person these are the rules and these are things that will happen if these rules are violated. Oftentimes, as, as we're growing up, we're developing our own discipline. Uh, the idea and ideal, of course, is that we all become self-disciplined. But what happens as we grow is we're continually adding to that uh, quiver, so to speak, eras of self-discipline that we're uh, adapting from uh, others who help us formulate those. School is one of those places. So again, um, what becomes or starts out as a school rule may become a life habit. That's the ideal, but the clarity is what is important. So school boundaries, when the school provides clear rules and consequences, very important in one of the boundaries and expectation assets. Another place where these are, are important is in the neighborhood. We've already talked about uh, earlier how important it is for neighbors to watch children and to take that uh, approach that it takes a village to raise a child. And so everyone's eyes are on young people within the neighborhood. So there are also boundaries that come in the neighborhood. That means that neighbors are going to report to parents uh, about young people's behavior. Hopefully the neighbors will have a lot of good things to say and go out of their ways to say them about children. Um, But if there are uh, self-destructive behaviors that are observed by other adults, they're willing to take those to the parents and confront them with those. I was uh, today looking at my own neighborhood association's website and and some of the uh, inaccuracies and other things. And one of the things that we notice, uh, I'm I'm part of a neighborhood association, and it's one of those things that easily devolves into a a whiners and grippers and grouchers uh, bulletin board. You don't see anything that comes up on on the Neighborhood Association bulletin board except somebody who's got a gripe. Well, that's terribly unfortunate, especially when it comes to our children. We want to make sure that when we're monitoring and looking out for the neighborhood's kids, that we are as willing to take the good news to parents as we are to report bad behaviors. And so uh, this is, again, it requires a a disciplined effort and a very conscious effort to make sure that we're sharing the good things as well as as any bad ones that we would want the parents to know about and be corrective uh, to those behaviors. So two places we're talking about boundaries and expectations. They are expressed in school with clarity and also in the neighborhood so that neighbors are able to take responsibility for monitoring young people and reporting that back to parents who are responsible for those children and their behaviors. A third one in boundaries expectation comes in the idea of solid, good, positive adult role models. Certainly, we want parents to be the first models of good behavior in a home, 
but also other adults in a child's life needs need to be modeling those behaviors as well. Uh, a parent can't do the job alone. It goes back to the thing we keep repeating here, which it takes a village. But it takes all role models being positive and helpful and encouraging to children so that uh, they are modeling responsible behavior, and this is a teaching method to the children. They observe it. They see adults doing what they're supposed to do, uh, doing what they're responsible to do. And all those things uh, come back into the idea of positive role models among adults, and so children can see these and model those behaviors. Here's one that is often overlooked. When we think about who mentors children and young people, we tend always in our minds to go to adults. But in fact, peers are probably one of the strongest role models to another child or another young person, teenager's life. Um, when the, the peer group is positive and when friends model responsible behavior, it becomes uh, easily seen and noticed by the other child or the other teenager involved with that friend. Uh, when, a, when a friend makes a good decision, the child or teenager observes that good decision, and uh, they say, well, you know, my friend made a positive decision. They, they don't obviously go to these evaluative details. They don't go through this in their mind, but they just simply see one of their peer group, uh, one of their near age group, making good decisions, positive decisions, taking responsibilities, and they are empowered uh, to do that for themselves. When when the peers make bad decisions, unfortunately, the same empowerment translates over to, to the youth who's observing that and can lead to destructive behaviors. So what we want is a positive peer influence. What does this mean uh, to those of us who are asset builders in the lives of young people? It means that we're always going to be watching that peer group. The old, old adage was, you know, if you lie down with dogs, you may get up with fleas. And it's just a simple way that is, is said in so many different ways that uh, the behaviors of the group you hang out with are very likely to become your behaviors. Uh, it's, just, it's just that, uh, that, that the old, again, these, these old adages come back, birds of a feather flock together. So when you get uh, all, all this synergism that comes with peers, it works both negatively and positively. And those of us who are asset builders want to watch that child and understand that the peer decisions are very important because they model the kind of behaviors that the child or the teenager is likely to pick up and uh, make their own. So not only are positive adult role models important, but positive peer influences are also very, very important. And here's one, too, that, uh, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm old enough to have, to have almost had a story or, or five or ten stories to go with everything uh, that I see. Um, and the last one of these boundaries and expectations uh, brings up that word expectations and the importance of high expectations. Um, there's there's an there's an old uh, an old saying that you you kind of get what you expect, 
And so that can often be prophetic, and we talk about self-fulfilling prophecies. So when we have boundaries and expectations for young people, we want to make sure that those expectations are high. We want them to uh, to excel and exceed, so we want those things to be um, to be high, to set the bar high. Any kind of behavior is not accepted. We want very important and high standard behaviors and expectations. When we come back in just a minute, we'll pick up with that and talk a little bit further, and I'll tell you a simple anecdote about high expectations. Be, be back with you in just a minute. Stay with us. We'll return in a moment with host Steve Russell and Christian Living That Counts. Many Christians worry about how to share their faith. They even feel guilty about not sharing. Hi, this is Steve Russell, host of Christian Living That Counts on toginet.com. Christians sharing their faith feel awkward and bothersome sometimes. But my friend Bobby Bateman has a unique way to break the ice and open the door for a casual conversation. Join us soon for the interview with Bobby about his unique idea or learn more now at his website. It's personaltous.com. Once again, that website is itspersonaltous.com. Returning with more of Christian Living That Counts, your host, Steve Russell. Hey, we're back. This is Steve Russell. We're talking about the Forley Developmental Assets. We were discussing the fifth of the boundaries and expectation uh, assets, and it is high expectations. We're talking about the idea of self-fulfilling prophecies and making sure that when we work with children and young people, we don't just have any old expectation of them. We have very high ones because people tend to live up to expectations. I was about to tell an anecdote before we had to cut away for a moment, and let me share this with you. It circulates around educators quite often. The old story goes that a retired teacher, after several years of retirement, was called back in because they had a, a struggling group of, of young people that were very, very challenging, both behaviorally and academically. And so they brought this little gray-haired teacher uh, back from uh, retirement and, and gave her a list of the students' names and, and um, a list uh, of numbers and, and uh, set her into class and said, see if you can help where nobody else can. Well, the uh, lady began to treat these these kids with very high expectations, and sure enough, uh, over the course of their educational experience that year, uh, they learned in, incredibly, and and uh, their discipline improved, their self discipline, um, and their behaviors. All things improved academically, behaviorally, everything was good. So, of course, at the end of the school year, when they were passing out the award, somebody came to the retired teacher and said, how in the world did you do that? No one had ever been able to help these kids and, and just get them to do anything or perform. And here you've given them these, um, uh, given these top marks, and, and these kids have just really made a 180-degree change in their lives, and their successes have all gone on. How did you, how did you do that? She said, well, the you know, first day they, they handed me a list of the, the students' uh, names and, and a list of, uh, of, of their IQs out by their names. You know, and, and I saw all these IQs in the 150s and 140s, and I thought, wow, these kids are just not challenged. Nobody's expecting them to do much, and so they're not doing much. And uh, the administrator who was uh, asking her how she did it kind of shook his head for a minute, and 
he told the teacher, he says, ma'am, I, I appreciate what you did, and and uh, I'm glad you got the list, but that wasn't their IQ scores. That was their locker numbers. And uh, so just the mistake on her part of not realizing uh, that what she'd been given was locker number assignments instead of IQ scores, and she began to expect those locker numbers to be the IQ scores. And she started treating the kids in her class with very, very high expectations, and they lived up to them. So, again, that uh, comical anecdote uh, that, that circulates around tells us something about ourselves when we're working with children and young, pe- young people. They often live up to what we expect them to do. So, again, to review the boundaries and expectations, uh, school boundaries, very clear rules and consequences. Also with neighborhoods, uh, we know that, that neighbors need to take responsibility and report behaviors, both good and bad, to the parents, uh, people who are responsible for these uh, children and young people. Good modeling from adults, good and positive peer modeling as well, because peer influences are so powerful. And then last of all, making sure that both peers and adults in every role dealing with children and young people, that we have high expectations for their their performance. We'll move on to another category now, and there's four of these, and these are four of my favorites because I think they're uh, overlooked sometimes. We don't realize how vital they are to a, to a child or a teenager's success. This is called, uh, these assets are called the constructive use of time, the category, and there are four, as I mentioned. The first one is to make sure that a child or a teenager is involved in three or more hours each week in some type of lesson in music, theater, or other of the arts. Three hours a week, involvement in some expression of the arts. You know, we we tend to sometimes categorize children as artistic or not, uh, but actually every child can be artistic. It just takes on different expressions. So our task as asset builders in the lives of young people is to find out what expression, whether it be musical, uh, dramatic, or some other type of of, uh, expression of the arts, painting, uh, poetry, who, who knows. But for three or more hours a week, a child who is involved or a a teenager who is involved in the creative activities of the art world, this is a strong and solid asset. So rather than deciding or predisposing a child thinking that they have this um, artistic ability or they don't, it's best just to simply look for it, look for how it's best expressed, uh, what the child's spark is, what turns them on, and to uh, work with that child to find that artistic expression and see that he gets attention of three or more hours each week. Another uh, constructive use of time falls in the category of programs. These are typically organizations or clubs that we might think of. Uh, the the, the uh, child or the teenager needs to be involved three or more hours per week in sports, or which means some type of team effort or clubs. 
uh, or organizations. Now, these can be at school or they can be in community. They can, they, they, can, they can be found in team sports or individual sports at school where um, uh, the individual sports are part of a group of, of, of a team such as a golf team or uh, a volleyball team or even individual tennis that can be singles or doubles, but schools typically have tennis teams. So these, these kids are part of, of the team or the group at school, but they can also take place certainly outside that when um, children find themselves in Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts, programs like that, Boys and Girls Clubs, uh, other things that take part, uh, take, take part away from school, but yet they are a team or organizational building uh, within the community. Uh, all these things um, can take take place. It can be a horse riding club or a, a bicycle group, a cycling group that rides together. But the point is a young person who is a part for three or more hours a week of these team-building organizations or clubs uh, or sports activities, this is a crucial asset. So, again, we might want to predispose kids to say, well, that person, you know, is they don't like sports or they don't like uh, team efforts or things like that. Uh, they're just never going to fit into that. Once again, just like with the artistic exp- expression, it's more important for us to find something that in, in the sense of a club or a, or a team or a sport, something to involve the young people. Find their spark. Find what turns them on. Get them involved in it three or more hours a week, whether it's the artistic activity we talked about at first or the team, uh, sport, club, or organization secondly. Another uh, third constructive uh, use of time uh, falls under the category of a religious community. Uh, well, here again, we may want to say, well, uh, religion is important to me or it's not to, to me. Certainly on this show, we're going to be a strong advocate for religious involvement and, and uh, the Christian faith. Uh, with a show called Christian Living That Counts. We make no apologies for advocating a religious community. But um, some people don't imp- understand how important it is. Um, in the lives of kids to have some type of community like that. Um, and and it, it, it can be very institutional, which means the uh, attendance of a worship service at a, a church or a mosque um, or um, a synagogue, or it could be something um, more secular, but still involving um, uh, something spiritual in the in the child or the young teenager's life, uh, so that they um, they develop a spirituality um, by being involved in in something like this. And again, this is this is only one hour or more, but but the Search Institute has found that kids who are involved for an hour or more a week in some type of institutional, spiritual, or religious activity, this becomes a very strong asset and therefore protects the kids from from self-destructive behaviors and empowers them with positive behaviors. So it comes as no surprise to those of us who are advocates of the Christian faith, but it is a very important asset, one of the 40. The last of the constructive use of time assets is time at home. You know, we live in a um, uh, uh, an environment and an atmosphere and in a world today um, where um, 
we often just let let kids hang out with other kids. And, uh, you know, they never want to be around home. But home's a good place, especially a positive home with these positive role models and parents who are involved and conversant with their children. And a time at home um, becomes a very important tool, especially when kids are left to their own designs and, and nothing nothing better to do. So the asset simply says this. A child should not be out with friends with nothing special to do um, more than a couple of nights a week Um, because if this is just the behavior, kids left to themselves, uh, they just don't tend toward good behaviors. So it's very, very important for a child to be comfortable at home. It may be um, a family dinner. It could be... um, uh, something as simple as watching a television show uh, that is that is very positive and, and uplifting to the child. It might even be a positive video game. Uh, but just the idea that being at home apart from friends is not a bad thing. They don't have to be social animals every night of the week. So those are the four uh, constructive uses of time that fall in the four assets. When we come back, we'll start on the list of internal assets. Stay with us. Back in a moment. Stay with us for more Christian Living That Counts, back in a moment, with host Steve Russell. I want to tell you about the special underwriting sponsor of Christian Living That Counts. This is show host Steve Russell to introduce you to the Prefort family of Mount Pleasant, Texas. Prefort Manufacturing was founded by the late Marvin Prefort, a born inventor who moved his growing business to the heart of cattle country in northeast Texas in 1962. Since then, Prefort Manufacturing has become the leader in the highest quality of farm, ranch, and rodeo equipment, employing over 800 people and shipping their products worldwide. Bill Prefort, Marvin's son, assumed the leadership of the company in 1988 after the unexpected passing of his father, Marvin. Today, under their dad's watchful eye, the third generation of Bill's sons, Eddie, Nate, and Travis are carrying on the family tradition and business, including the Christian faith that they quickly credit with much of their success and growth. I'm proud to call the Preferts friends and appreciate their making the internet radio broadcast of Christian Living That Counts possible. Learn more about this dedicated Christian family and their outstanding business at Prefert.com. That's P-R-I-E-F-E-R-T dot com. Returning with more of Christian Living That Counts, your host, Steve Russell. This is Steve Russell, your host for Christian Living That Counts. Welcome back. We're talking about the 40 developmental assets We have discussed somewhat the first 20, which were the external assets. We're moving into the internal assets. I want to get right to the list in this segment of the show so that uh, we can complete this and you will have uh, a downloadable podcast on the website to go to and listen to a discussion of these and give them some thought for yourself and certainly for the sake of your children and teenagers that might be under your influence, whether you're a parent with kids at home, whether you're an educator, a coach, or whether you're a scout leader or a church leader, these are important things. 
So let's move right along into the internal assets. There are going to be 20 of these, and they're subdivided into categories just as the externals were. And so the first category is called commitment to learning. Now, the internals change a little bit because this is a measure of the child's commitment um, that is that uh, we find uh, in the child. And then what we want to do is enhance that and help the child to enhance these internal assets. So how committed is any child to learning? Well, obviously, the spectrum runs from very little all the way to very, very great among children and teenagers that we might survey. But it's very important as an asset for a children to be very motivated to do well in school. This is what we call the first of the commitment to learning assets, and it's called achievement motivation. The child or, or the young person is highly motivated to do well in school. This very simply would mean um, how do children feel about the grades, um, whether it be the report cards that typically go back uh, home to parents or guardians, or whether it's a variety of achievement tests or entrance exams. Does a child care what the marks are that they are making. Do they want to make good grades and good scores? Are they motivated to do well on these tests and in their subject matter uh, at school? This is an important thing. We want the child to be highly motivated. Obviously, um, it's not going to be very easy to motivate a child to learn who isn't motivated to learn. Uh, there's, there's the old, the old adage about taking a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And I remember telling someone once upon a time that not only that, but if you shove the horse's head into the water, you're just going to end up with a mad horse. So it's much easier for children to learn, uh, and to do well in their academic achievement, uh, arenas if they are motivated to do well. We want children to want to do well in school. A second of the commitments to learning is school engagement. Is the, is, the, is the young person actively engaged in learning? This might be a measure of do children and teenagers do the least they can do to get by in school, or do they do extra because they want to? Back to the motivation idea. Are they engaged in learning? And if they have a lesson uh, about space travel, um, do they simply answer the five questions at the end of the chapter that made up their homework? Or do they look over into the encyclopedias online or other magazines or books that are available? Do they seek to know more than they have to know about a certain subject? This is where we measure engagement. Uh, when, a, when a child or a teenager stops with the minimum, uh, we know that they're just simply getting by. We don't want getting by. We want active engagement in learning. Children who do this are, are going to achieve uh, more success academically, and they're going to have an all-around uh, commitment to learning that helps them in the future. And this will grow if it's developed in the younger ages um, in, in school and, and other environments. It will grow and become uh, a habit for the middle years of their teenage life and then on into young adulthood. Um, I like to think that everyone would want to become a lifetime learner. So starting it soon and watching people engaged in learning 
by expanding beyond just the minimum requirements for what they have to learn is a strong asset among the commitments to learning. This third one is very, very interesting to me, and it's called homework. Uh, I can, uh, as a parent of, of children who are now in their 30s, I have to think back a few years when they would come home and you thought you were a responsible parent when you asked your children when they came in from school, do you have any homework? And uh, they would give you a variety of answers from no, which might or might not be truthful, to yes, and I need some time to do it. Um, you, you just never quite were sure, but you really thought you'd done your job as a parent when you said, do you have some homework? And if the answer was yes, well, you, you encouraged them to go do that. And if the answer was no, you said, well, uh, good for you. Um, I guess you got a free night and, and you'd still move on, check your box that you'd done what you were supposed to do as a parent. But uh, the asset uh, that we want to build in a young person goes a little bit beyond that. Every young person who is successful reported doing at least an hour of homework for every school day. Now think about that for a moment. If the teacher doesn't assign an hour of homework to the child, well, what uh, what are you going to do about that? Uh, in fact, if your child come, comes home, and I can remember personally, Oftentimes, I'd get things done at school, and I didn't have homework. Maybe for many nights, I was simply able to accomplish what I needed to do at school. So what do you do if the answer to the child's uh, – that you, you put the question to the child, do you have any homework? And the answer is repeatedly no, 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 got it done at school, got that covered. Nope, got it, got, got it all behind me. How do you deal with that when you know that a child really needs an hour of homework on top of every school day? My favorite anecdote about this comes from uh, Ben Carson. Uh, Dr. Carson, of course, um, is getting a lot of attention now as a presidential candidate this year. But uh, if you've not uh, read his books, uh, Gifted Hands, or seen the movie um, uh, along the line of of, uh, understanding Dr. Carson's uh, upbringing, he he grew up in very adverse uh, circumstances, uh, a single-parent home, um, not a, a lot of resources in that home, but one tremendous resource was a mom who, even though she uh, struggled uh, with literacy, asked both of her young sons to bring her a book report every week. And Dr. Carson said that she was so good at fooling them that she could read um, and read efficiently that she would somehow be able to uh, coax out of them enough questions to ask and answers to get from them about the book reports that they were preparing, even though she herself struggled with literacy and would actually graduate from high school and later college much later than her two boys uh, as her skills developed as well. But I think that is a very interesting um, uh, story, uh, and it tells us a lot that uh, the parents should become suspicious when children have patterns of no homework to do. And the parent may need to step in and bring that back to what we talked about with school engagement and uh, ask for additional reading and research assignments along topics that they know their children uh, are studying. And they might ask for a book report occasionally. 
but the the whole idea and the whole the whole principle here is to understand that the successful kids, the high numbers of those successful kids, are bringing home an hour of homework or are doing an hour of homework, even if they're not bringing home. Someone's assigning them an hour's worth of homework and checking up on them to see that it gets done. So that is an important asset as well. This next one, uh, the fourth one of the commitments to learning, uh, may seem an odd asset, uh, and it's fairly easily measured. But the question is, does the young person care about his or her school? Do they feel a bonding to that? Uh, Do they like wearing their school colors and possibly um, some type of clothing that has the school mascot? Maybe there's um, shirts that are sold from time to time for the different clubs or organizations as fundraisers, and they they have the school's mascot on that with the school colors in the shirt. Does, Does the child gravitate toward that? Do they really care about their school? And it can go beyond the the clothes they wear. It can it can move on into the things they do, um, such as um, caring about the the graffiti at their school. If there's a predominance of that, does that bother your child? Would they do they want a clean and fresh uh, school environment? And and they would rather that that didn't occur. And they certainly wouldn't participate in it. Um, <clears throat> do they? participate in a in a trash pickup campaign around their school campus uh, both individually whether it's a, a club activity or not they take the initiative to make sure that their school appears neat and clean and fresh to anyone who would be there and who might visit all of this indicates that a child really loves the school and loving the school bonding with it and caring about it deeply is is an important asset Um, that adds to the commitment to learning. So there's a relationship. When a child loves a school, the child loves to do the school work that is assigned at that school and and loves to engage in the learning that takes place. So don't overlook that, the the child's love for the school and desire to be there and and, uh, have that what we call school spirit. Uh, That's an important thing. The last one of these is pretty simple, and I can see it evident among young people I observe. But the fifth of the commitments to learning is reading for pleasure. Every child or teenager should be involved and engaged in reading three or more hours a week on their own. Not assignment reading, but on their own. When we come back, we'll pick up with that, and we'll talk about some additional internal assets. And uh, Join us and stay with us. We'll return in a moment for our final segment of Christian Living That Counts. Hey friends, this is Steve Russell, host of Christian Living That Counts. I want to introduce you to my friend David Taylor. He's celebrating his 35th anniversary as a financial advisor. David is a CPA and has recently written a book to answer the need of so many ladies who came to his office after the passing of their husbands. Often they knew nothing of their financial details or status. David's book is called The Comprehensive Widow's Survival Guide. Be listening for my interview with David soon and learn how you can get your copy of The Comprehensive Widow's Survival Guide. Returning with more of Christian Living That Counts, your host, Steve Russell. Welcome back to the last segment of the show. Today, we're, the show is called Christian Living That Counts. I'm your host, Steve Russell. We're reviewing the 40 developmental assets as determined by the Search Institute of Minneapolis, Minnesota. You won't have any trouble finding these online. You can put Search Institute into a search engine 
or you can put 40 assets. All of these will bring you to the websites of the Search Institute and allow you to explore these for yourself. Or you can go to my website, empoweringtexasyouth.org, click on 40 assets or the power of assets, and these also will take you to the search website for further contemplation and consideration of these assets these con these concrete common sense concepts that make young people into um, responsible young adults, and that's what we all want for our youth. I'm on the last 15 of the 40. We're in the internal assets. We just covered the assets that discuss uh, the commitments to learning, and we're moving on to the assets of positive values. There are six of these. Let me go through them, and I'm going to attempt to finish the list in this last segment. Uh, so we'll have a, a two-part um, discussion of these, and it certainly won't be the last thing we say about the 40 developmental assets. But first of all, let's look at the asset of caring. A young person simply places a high value on helping other people. Do people tend to shun responsibility when it comes to accepting roles of helping other people, or do they step into those roles and are glad to help? And this means volunteering, uh, not being coerced by an adult into doing something they don't want to do. Second, the second positive value is equality and social justice. Does the young person uh, place a very high value on promoting equality and justice? And this is often expressed in terms of, of relief for the poor or the hungry. So would a young person naturally be involved in equality and social justice um, in, on their own and take initiatives in those areas? Another positive value is integrity, which means a young person would actually act on their convictions and stand up for his or her beliefs. Um, a person who stands on these beliefs is, uh, is, a, is, an, is a person who possesses the asset uh, of integrity. They will, they will um, not be moved uh, away from, from their own convictions and instead will stand up for themselves and what they believe. This is a third of the positive value assets. Honesty is the fourth. Does a person, a young person, tell the truth even when it's not easy? Um, we've all known people who simply lie and, and uh, fabricate um, um, ways of getting around uh, the truth and simply not telling it or sharing it. And so uh, that makes a, 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 you know, for a very difficult relationship, and it's certainly not an asset. A person who has a positive value of honesty is a person, a young person who tells the truth, even though it may be difficult to do so. The fifth one is responsibility. The young person accepts and takes personal responsibility for the things that they do, the actions uh, that they take, and uh, they don't try to pawn off and blame someone else, no matter whether the asset is a good one. Uh, I'm sorry, whether the um, uh, whether the, the action is a good or bad one, the person is able to step up and take uh, personal responsibility, which means hopefully they can accept accolades for doing good things and they can accept the consequences when their decisions are not so good and proper with good outcomes. But the important part is they accept responsibility. 
A sixth asset is uh, among the positive values is the restraint asset. Whether or not a young person can exercise self-control and self-restraint. There's been a lot of research in this, um, and, and and it's intriguing and it's a fun read actually. Uh, things like taking small children, say first graders, and and uh, taking a group of five of them and say, now uh, here's the deal: uh, you can have one chocolate Hershey's kiss. Uh, right now, or I have to leave the room for a few minutes, and when I get back after 12 minutes of being absent from the room, if you will not take a one Hershey's kiss right now, I will give you three when I return in 12 minutes. And to watch the struggle of these first graders, uh, these six- and seven-year-olds, trying to decide whether the the bird in the hand of one Hershey kiss right now is a great thing and they want to settle for that or whether they can hold off for 12 minutes and be rewarded with three. Uh, that available to, to uh, that, that ability to put off um, uh, and show self-restraint and self-control, self-control to put off the reward for a period of time often is a good uh, demonstration of whether or not a child can exercise self-control and self-restraint. And that is the, the six of these positive values. So let me review those again. The first one is caring. Uh, which is often expressed in helping other people. When you observe a young pe- uh, young person helping someone else, you can rest assured that they are caring, especially if that is a repeated pattern. A second one is equality and social justice, that the youth uh, or the child places a very high value on fairness um, and equality and justice, and often seeing an expression of this in the child's attempt to reduce hunger or poverty where they can. A third of these positive values is integrity. Uh, the child acts on convictions and stand up, stands up for his or her beliefs. The fourth one is honesty, the ability to tell the truth even when it's not easy. This is the fourth asset of the positive values. The fifth one, responsibility, the willingness to take responsibility uh, for events and occurrences rather than blaming someone else. Uh, and the last one, the exercise of self-control or restraint, uh, these are the six positive values. If they are expressed in a child uh, or teenager, these are good, solid assets among the 40. The next category is called social competencies. Um, there are five of these. I'll run through them rather quickly because they're a little bit uh, uh, the nature that you need to review them on the on the websites that I've suggested. One of the social competencies, the first one, is the ability to plan and make decisions. Does a young person know how to sit down and plan ahead and make choices about those plans? If they do, that's a very positive asset uh, in the person's life and a good uh, building block among the 40 assets. Second one is interpersonal competence. Um, Does the person have empathy, sensitivity, and uh, relationship-building friendship skills? Uh, When these are observed uh, in a child, they have an important uh, asset in their lives. A third of the social competencies is cultural. Does the person have a knowledge of and seek to understand and, a, and and also a good comfort level with people of different cultural or racial or ethnic or religious backgrounds, the ability to 
to know and learn and be um, be informed about these and willingness to be informed about people who are simply different uh, in these different ways. Um, if, a, if a young person expresses this, this is a very strong asset of social competency. Another is a resistance skill. Uh, very, very, very similar to the restraint, although the person, the restraint is more of a personal self-control and self-restraint. This is a resistance skills that means the person can exercise that same restraint and control and resistance among negative peer pressure and dangerous situations. In other words, does a child or teenager um, have the resistance skills to say to say no or to de- or to deny themselves participation in in dangerous um, or negative activities, even when peer pressure tries to push them to participate. This resistance skills is a very strong asset. The fifth one and the last one is seeking peaceful conflict resolution. Uh, Does a young person uh, tend to have only fight uh, or flight as as a mechanism for dealing with personal conflicts with other people or can they seek to resolve, uh, work through, and, and get over uh, differences of, and of issues nonviolently? Uh, can they do what Stephen Covey referred to as a win-win? Can they carry that discussion uh, to find a peaceful resolution? If so, they have a rounded-out fifth asset among the social competencies. The last four of the 40... Uh, come under the idea of positive identity, and they'll sound very familiar to you. Does a person, a young person, feel that they have control over what happens to them? If a person feels they're out of control and they can't do anything that really changes their own destiny or their outcomes, they'll tend to give up. But when a a person feels, a young person feels that they have personal power to take control of what happens to them and they, they believe they have greater influence over that, they will t- participate in the process. A second one is self-esteem. This one is easily and popularly defined. They feel good about themselves. If they do, great asset. A sense of purpose. Does a young pers- person believe that their life is purposeful? They have a reason for being here, a calling, something to do. In the last of these, a positive view of the personal future. Do they believe that they, uh, that they can be optimistic about the things ahead of them? Well, this rounds out the 40 developmental assets, and we will come back and discuss these in many other sessions. But there's a good list. I hope you'll join us next week, and we'll be here again with Christian Living That Counts. This is Steve Russell, your host. See you next week. Steve Russell returns next week at the same time, discussing how renewed lives can make a difference in a broken world. Join us again for Christian Living That Counts.